Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Good morning. You guys good? You still full from Thursday? Man, I ate way more than I should have, and I'm not sorry. <laughs> um, good. Let's um, open up your Bibles, if you have them, to Psalm chapter 27. And as you're doing that, I'm going to pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for just the gift of your presence and that you're so faithful to show up whenever we show up. You said that if we draw near to you, you draw near to us, and you're so faithful to do that every time. And so, Lord, I ask that you would match my weakness with your glory this morning, that in my, my weakness, your strength would be made perfect. And God, I ask that your word would pierce our hearts and that you would draw us closer and deeper into an encounter with you this morning. God, we love you. We love your presence. We ask that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 27, verse 4. This is one of, probably one of the most famous scriptures in the Psalms anyway, or maybe one of the most famous in the Bibles, in the, in the Bibles, in the Bible. There's only one Bible. Um, it's one of the most famous passages in the Bible. You might have heard it before. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. It's a beautiful passage and it's an invitation to, uh, it, it's David's heart cry to just be in the presence of God. And I think sometimes we, we read this passage and we forget or we fail to recognize the context in which it was written. It's not just all beauty and wonderfulness that David's talking about here. If, we, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, Psalm 27, um, he says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war may rise against me, I will be confident in this. And then he says, in the midst of all of those things, I just want one thing, just to be with you. David had a revelation. Just to give you some context, David was actually running for his life from a murderous king, King Saul, who was jealous of David because he knew David had been anointed, anointed to succeed him after, um, he had, after he passed. The crowds loved David after he killed Goliath. They were saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. So Saul was jealous of David. And he sent his entire army, the army of Israel, was after David to kill him and destroy him. So David was hiding in the caves of Engedi when he wrote Psalm 27. And he, he's saying, though an army may encamp against me, the war may rise against me, I have a haven. I have a refuge that I can run to that no one else can take from me. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek, that I would be in your presence, that I would dwell in your house, that I would actually be with you all the days of my life. And I think so, it's easy to forget the context in which David wrote this psalm, but I think it's so important because though probably none of us have had an army chasing us down to kill us, at least I hope not, 
we all go through struggles, right? We all go through seasons of pain and trial and tribulation in whatever way, shape, or form. And, you know, I think the Lord just wants to remind us this morning that we have a haven in him. We have a place that we can run to that no enemy, no demon, no devil can take away from us. We have the presence of God available to us any time of the day or night, and we can run straight into it. Amen? So David wrote this passage in the midst of one of the most adverse and troubling times in his life, literally running away from an army that was set out to kill him. He found refuge in a place that no one could take from him, the secret place, worship, prayer. It was his haven. It was his refuge from the attacks of his enemies. Um, My boys, I have twin boys, seven years old, uh, almost seven years. They'll be seven in two weeks from today. It's crazy. Um, but they, we have this thing that we do at home. The boys, you know, made it up. They, they want to, every time they come home from school, they, you know, me and Kelly pick them up from school and they're like, okay, dad, when we get home, we're going to do a battle. We want to do a battle. They love to battle. And so they, they've broken us up into teams. And so it's usually Kelly and Caden and it's usually myself and Isaac and, um, Caden's team, he calls it team power. We are, me and Kelly, we're team power. And Isaac's team name, <laughs> me and Isaac proudly are on team pineapple poopy butt. <laughs> That's my kids. So it's team power versus team pineapple poopy butt. And what, we, what they would do is they, they get really into it, you guys. They, they have this, you know, the... Kelly and Caden will go into one room. Isaac and I will go into the other room. Sometimes they switch teams back and forth just to like, if, they, if we don't fight good enough for them, um, they'll switch to the other team because they know they're going to win. But we'll, we'll get into these strategizing meetings and, and they, they, have the, they get the hand going, okay, daddy, here's what we're going to do, okay? Are you ready? It's like, okay, here's the plan. He goes, all right, daddy, here's the plan. I'm going to stay in here and you're going to go out and fight. And you're going to go get the, do the battle. And I was like, that doesn't sound real fair to me. He's like, no, 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 daddy, this is the best plan. The best plan is I'm going to stay right here and you're going to go out and fight. And then he'll do it to Kelly too. He's like, okay, Kelly, you get, Isaac will do it to Kelly. Kelly, listen, here's the plan. I'm going to stay in here and you're going to go out and fight. And, (laughs) and so you know, Kelly and I just kind of come out from our strategy headquarters and we just kind of talk until they're ready to come out and the battle is won. Um, but just the mind of a six-year-old, a seven-year-old is, yeah, they know their weakness. They know that if they come at me with full force, I'm a little bit stronger than them. So they know their dad's going to win their battle for them. <laughs> Does that make sense? And so I, I, I just love that analogy. Um, you know, they're so bold and they're so confident to know that they probably aren't going to win on their own strength. But if dad goes out or if Kelly goes out and fights their battle for them, they have a way better chance. I want to tell you that you have a dad who has never been defeated. You have a father who is the captain of the hosts of the armies of heaven and he has never once, ever, ever, ever in all of eternity lost a battle. He fights for you. of David, Psalm chapter 34 Verse one, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. It's easy to bless the Lord when everything is going great, right? 
You got a lot of money in the bank account? Awesome. Your marriage is awesome. Your kids are uh, behaving. Your family life is great. Your health is good. Your relationship with God is great. It's easy to bless the Lord when everything is going well, right? But there's an element to blessing the Lord at all times. David said, I, David said, I bless the Lord sometimes. <laughs> I'm going to bless the Lord most of the time. No. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. When an army's trying to kill me, I'm going to bless the Lord. I think of Job. Job lost his family. He lost his kids. He lost his livestock. He lost his money. He lost his home. And everyone around him was saying, Job, you're crazy if you don't just curse God and die. Just give up. And Job, I love Job's response. He said, though the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. And at the end of his life, Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. No matter what his circumstances were, he said, the Lord gives and he takes away. So my heart will still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. There's a dimension of all times that we don't always want to buy into. And I don't think it's that we don't read that part of the verse or we just don't remember that part of the, the verse. It's that sometimes in our fallen mindsets, we actually justify our own accusations to God. How many of you guys have accused God before? Let's be honest. I have. Everyone's like. <laughs> no, I've totally accused God before. Uh, we convince ourselves that somehow he has become less worthy because of the circumstances that he's led us into. Like, I've been worship leading since I was age 14. I remember last year, I referenced this a few, a few messages ago when I was preaching, I went through one of the darkest seasons in my life last year. And I knew God, I, I know, you know his presence, and I know his faithfulness and his kindness and his mercy, but when I was going through one of the darkest seasons in my life, how quickly and easy it is to forget those seasons of his faithfulness and his kindness to you when you're going through difficulty. It's easy to just say, God, I've given you the last 30 years of my life, and you do this? You lead me here? You bring me through this pain? What have I done to you, God? What, you owe me this. And that's one thing that we, we get so into. Like, God, I've done this. You owe me something. I want to tell you, God does not owe you nothing. He does not owe you anything. He already gave you everything. He gave you eternal life. He saved your soul from hell forever. And sometimes we come into this relationship with Jesus like it's a transactional thing. Like, God, I'm going to give you 30 years of my life if you give me something back in return. That's not how it works. In his kindness, in his mercy, in his he gives us stuff because he likes to give good gifts to his children. That's what the Bible says. But he does not owe us anything. And so in the midst of all of our troubles, we convince ourselves that he's less worthy because of our circumstances. I want to say to you that the worth of Jesus, the worthiness of Jesus, is never, ever dependent on your circumstances. He is worthy of worship and praise regardless of what you're going through. He is always worthy. He's always on the throne. And just because your emotions say he's not doesn't mean he's not, right? He's always worthy. And I think sometimes we just need to repent for putting our 
expectations on the leadership of Jesus. In fact, Jesus actually told us, he said, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. He didn't say you might have trouble. He didn't say try to avoid the trouble. He said you will have trouble. If you love me, the world will hate you. In the world, you will have trouble. Adversity is coming. If you love Jesus and you're giving your life to Jesus, adversity is coming. Enemies will come. Discomfort will come. And there will be valleys ahead. And what I want to talk about this morning is just how to respond rightly in the valley. It's very difficult to bless the name of the Lord when things aren't going according to plan. But when I, I remember when I first was wandering into that season of darkness and I, I, had, I felt like I had been wronged. There was someone real close to me who I felt wronged me and betrayed me. And I felt the Lord say right on the very beginning of that, of that season in my life, and I'm so thankful for this moment, but the Lord says, you can choose to give way in your heart to anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, or you can choose to love and choose to lean. He said, you can choose to give way to anger, unforgiveness, and bitterness, or you can choose to love and choose to lean. I wish I, I could say that I did it perfectly. <laughs> I didn't. Still working through some of those things. But anger and unforgiveness and bitterness, if you allow it to take root in your heart, it will destroy you. It will destroy you. It will destroy you from the inside out. It'll destroy your relationships with people. It'll destroy your relationships with God, your relationship with God. And uh, there's a verse that absolutely destroy, uh, it doesn't destroy me, but it, it actually terrifies me. And Donnie referenced it in his message a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about the spirit of unforgiveness. In the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus said. He goes, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Good news. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you yours. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will not forgive yours. That's terrifying. That is terrifying. And if that doesn't cause you to examine the posture of your heart right now, you need to. <laughs> because we so badly want to hang on to unforgiveness. We were talking about it a couple weeks ago, and we were, you know, in, just as a staff, we were just kind of, you know, it, was a, it was a tearful meeting, and we had, it was just really personal, and the Lord had showed up, and I remember just, you know, even as I've, I'm still processing through some of the things from the last year, and people were calling out names of people that, that they needed to forgive, and people who have wronged them, and we're just releasing that into the air, and these, this person came into my mind that I needed to forgive, but I, I, I felt this, it was almost like something just gripped my heart and said, no, don't forgive them. Don't do it. There's a, a spirit, there's a demonic spirit of unforgiveness that if you, let it to ha if you let it have root in your heart, it'll grip on and it won't let go. You have to violently rip it out. And I'm preaching to myself right now because it's, it's not easy. I'm not going to sugarcoat this like it's an easy thing to do. Unforgiveness is a deep, deep, deep thing in you that you have to violently rip out. 
we justify it and we say, oh Lord, they hurt me, they, they wronged me. But if this verse is true, and it is, then your eternal salvation depends on this. <laughs> if you're, he doesn't forgive your trespasses, that's a big deal in light of salvation. When Jesus was carrying his cross to Calvary, it wasn't revenge or unforgiveness that drove him there. It wasn't like he was going, I'll teach them a lesson. Listen. It was his love and forgiveness. It was a promise that he held on to and still holds on to today that at the end of the day, he would have a reward. And when Jesus was on the cross, this blows my mind, you guys. When Jesus was on the cross as those centurion soldiers were driving the nails into his hands and feet, Jesus looked at them with such compassion. And instead of saying, Father, judge them, Judge them, call down fire on them, let them burn in hell. Like, he had every right to do that. They were murdering him, but in the midst of them murdering him, he looked at them, he looked at their hearts with such compassion, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, just forgive them, God, I want them with me. He looked at his very murderers in the eye, and he said, oh, I want you with me. I want you with me where I am. Doesn't that blow your mind? He held on to a promise that he would have a reward, the reward of his suffering. And the reward of his suffering is that you would be with him for all eternity. And so what I want to do is just kind of give you guys some tools for how to respond rightly when you're going through seasons of adversity or trial or pain. How many of you guys have been through one? How many of you guys are going through one? It's Okay. <laughs> What does responding rightly look like? Number one, loving his leadership. I think it's important to understand that it's actually the leadership of Jesus. It's Jesus who's actually leading you through the valley. It's Jesus who's actually leading you through that dark place. And I think we need to learn to just, when he said learn to love and learn to lean, sometimes we just need to learn to lean on Jesus. When everything else around us is dark and we can't see our next step in front of us, we can't see the foot, our, our next footstep in front of us, sometimes we just need to lean on our friend Jesus because he's there, he's in the valley with you, he's the one leading you through it. And it's easy to despise those seasons. But sometimes you need to deny your own emotions and make the choice to love the Lord's leadership in your life even when you don't understand what's happening or why. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. And he won't disappoint you. In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We all know this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me on the path of righteousness. Sometimes that path of righteousness goes right through the valley. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for what? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. His rod is his, is his discipline over us, his chastening. Sometimes we don't like the chastening but it's this chastening that keeps us on the straight and narrow. It's his staff, his leadership. 
But as you're going through that valley, we need to recognize that he's with you every step of the way. Um, step number two, or, or number two, leaning on his sovereignty. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 12, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast in all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes the Lord lets us come face to face with our weakness so that he can show off his glory and his strength. It's in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. It's in our frailty that his glory can shine through us. Number three, and this is probably the most important part, to me anyway, um, and I say this as a worship leader, but it, the step number three is worship through your pain. If you read through the book of Psalms, it wasn't all just ponies and unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> David, if you, the, the book of Psalms was David's journal through the ups and the downs of his life. And how many verses are there in the book of Psalms? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My enemies are trying to kill me, God. My bones are crushed under the weight of this burden. And it's just honest and real and raw with God, even in the midst of those things. And so I think there's something so powerful about bringing your lamentation to the Lord, bringing your song of despair and your song of, of, of just even sadness before the Lord. I think the Lord wants real reality and honesty from us. We, we, sometimes we come into church on Sunday mornings or we go into our secret place and we like do all of our makeup and we put on this mask before God like he doesn't see straight through it. And we, we try to act like we have it all together. The Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance. The Lord's looking at your heart. He knows the turmoil that you're in, whether or not you do your, you put your face makeup on or you put your mask on or you get all dressed up or whatever. He sees straight through it to the very heart of the issue. And he says, oh, I just want you to be honest with me. And there were, some times, there were some times in that season that I was going through where I looked up to God and I said, how could you do this to me, God? How could you lead me through this? I feel alone. I feel abandoned. I feel broken. I feel betrayed. And you led me here. You left me here. And then I would open up to the book of Psalms and David would use that same language. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's honesty. It's part of the human experience. It's part of our human emotional makeup to feel those things, to, the, to feel those emotions in the midst of it. I don't think God is disappointed with us when we, brings our, when we bring our lamentation song to him. I think the Lord finds it beautiful because what we're doing is we're learning to process and we're finding out who he is in the midst of it. And we don't always like it. Most of the time, we don't like it in those situations. But he's leading us through it with his grace, and even though you don't feel him, doesn't mean he's not there. Even though you don't see him in the darkness of the valley, does not mean he's not there. But I want to encourage you this morning. When you're going through those seasons, sing to him. Open up the book of Psalms and sing. Even if you don't feel like you have a good voice, who cares? Just sing. No one else has to listen. It's just you and the Lord. Just bring your, song, your lamentation song to the Lord in reality and in honesty before him. 
if I wouldn't have sang the scriptures back to the Lord in my season of pain, I honestly, I honestly don't know if I would be here right now. <laughs> like, it was so heart-wrenching for me. Every day I would wake up and want to go right back to sleep to, just to pass the day. You know, I was in the, the depths of despair almost every day when I was going through this season. But what got me through it was just some, one of my mentors through the whole process told me, you're allowed to feel the feels. <laughs> you're allowed to feel the emotions that you feel. If you feel love one day for that person, love that person. If you feel angry at that person one day, feel angry at that person. You're allowed to feel it because you're an emotional being. And God is an emotional being, but he feels all of those emotions all at the same time. We have to compartmentalize. <laughs> but some days you feel one thing, the next day you feel another, the next day you'll feel another. But you're allowed to feel those things and you're allowed to be honest with him. But just sing through it. Read the scriptures. Meditate on the word. Get the word written on your heart through the whole process because it will literally transform you and it will sustain you from the inside out as you walk through that season. So I want to encourage you. Sing in the midst of the valley. Sing in the midst of your dark season. And number four, contend for your promise. Contend for your promise. Because the Lord won't lead you to a place of despair without giving you a promise of hope in the future. He will not lead you to a place of darkness without a promise of a light at the end. Contend for your promise. First Timothy chapter one, verse 18 says, this, I charge, or this charge I commit to you, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. According to the prophecies that were made to you, that you would wage warfare for their fulfillment. Cling to every single prophetic promise that has ever been given to you. Cling to it. If it's in the Bible, pray for it. If you were given a dream years ago, pray for it to come to pass. If someone gave you a prophetic word yesterday, pray for the fulfillment of it. If you had an encounter with God, pray into it. Wage righteous warfare over your situation. The reason the Lord gives you those nuggets, those prophetic declarations over your life is so that you can cling to something in the midst of your despair, so that you can cling to something and wage warfare for the, for the promise to come to pass. Does that make sense? Pray. Pray, sing, worship, pray for it. Because if you pray for it and it's in accordance with his will, and why wouldn't it be in accordance with his will if he already spoke it over your life? If he spoke it over your life and you pray for it, you're praying in accordance with his will and it will come to pass, but don't give up too soon. Pray until the breakthrough comes. Pray in accordance with his will and pray until the breakthrough comes. Pray, pray, pray. You were made to overcome. I want to tell you an encounter that I had when I was 18 years old. Uh, I'm going to give you a real brief version of it. <laughs> but I remember I was 18 years old. Again, I grew up in, in, a, in a Lutheran, really conservative background. My dad is a Lutheran pastor to this day, um, living in a small town in South Dakota, about 2,500 people. Um, so I grew up in this really conservative church. Uh, many of you know I, I moved to IHOP, the International House of Prayer, um, as soon as I graduated from high school in 2003. And uh, I knew about IHOP, but I didn't know, like, all of, I had been to some conferences, and I just felt like the Lord was leading me to go there. But the whole world of charismatics and the craziness of people falling on the floor and speaking in tongues and all of that craziness, you know, 
<laughs> like, I had never fully experienced a culture that operated like that before. And so I get, uh, there's, the, there's the prayer room, it's 24-7 prayer room. To this day, it's been going for over 19 years, nonstop, 24-7, it's amazing. Um, and so I walk into the prayer room, I'm like, man, this is really intense. And then we have a, our own prayer meeting. I did an internship, I was one of about 70 kids. Um, we did an internship together for six months. And I remember walking into this prayer meeting, and uh, something happened to me that night that I'll never, ever forget. It changed the course of my life. And I remember I stood up in the middle of the the worship time in the front of the prayer meeting, and I felt this... (laughs) I felt this fire start bubbling up in my stomach. It was just like this really intense burning. And I remember going, this is honestly what I thought, because I'd never felt anything like this before. I, I thought, either this is God or I ate something terrible. Because <laughs> it was just like crazy intense burning in my stomach. I was like, that's going to hurt. Um, but um, I remember I... I some, as soon as I started feeling that, one of my, the leaders of the internship gets up on the microphone, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, I'm freaking out, going, oh, and uh, she's like, someone, someone in the room is feeling a burning in your stomach, and the Lord wants to show you something, I was like, obviously, like, come on, <laughs> like, so I was like, come and pray for me, please, so I get like 20 interns around me, they're all praying for me, and um, as soon as they lay their hands on me, this fire in my stomach starts shooting through my body like electricity. And I fall face down on the floor. Within seconds, my clothes are drenched in sweat. I'm screaming, God, what are you doing? Ah! And they're all going, take him up, God. Take him up. Take him up. And I had no idea what that meant. I was like, take me where? Like, what does that mean? I, like, leave me here. <laughs> I'm fine here. And so, so as I'm like writhing on the floor, screaming, God, what are you doing to me? I feel this giant hand touch my back. And it would grabbed my shirt from behind. And it was as though I was pulled out of the room. And all of a sudden, I was standing on this stone ledge. And my toes were hanging off the ledge. And there was nothing in front of me. But I was just standing on the stone ledge. And I was shaking. And I had no idea what to do. I couldn't move. I was I was so afraid. And behind me, there was this really bright, warm, pure light. And I knew that God the Father was standing right behind me. And everything within me wanted to turn around and look at him because I knew he was so beautiful. Uh, But I knew that if I would have looked at him, I would have died because his glory was so intense. My eyes wouldn't be able to behold him. And so I have the Father standing behind me. And in front of me, I knew I had heaven's perspective on all creation. I could see every star. I could see every planet. I could see all of the galaxies and how they moved and and flowed together. And there were so many beautiful colors. How many of you have looked online at pictures of like the telescopes that you see into deep space? It's beautiful. And I, I just remember having heaven's perspective on all creation. And there was this musical sound and creation just spun and wove together and it was so beautiful and I just remember shaking in awe of the beauty of what was in front of me in awe of the beauty of God standing behind me and I'm just this little 18 year old Lutheran boy going God what are you doing I didn't ask for this I didn't know this was available I'm Lutheran this doesn't happen to Lutherans why are why am I here and 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 the Lord didn't answer me for the longest time. I just was spouting off all of these questions. And when he finally answered me, he, it was like thunder in my, in, my, in my spirit. How many of you guys have been woken up in the middle of the night from a loud clap of thunder? 
It's just like your adrenaline starts pumping and you're just wide awake from a deep sleep. It was like that. I was like in the middle of the, the loudest thunderstorm I'd ever seen or felt before. And this is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, when you pray, when you worship, when you intercede, when you do these things in my name, you have authority to shift these things in the heavens. He said, when you pray, when you worship, when you intercede, when you do these things in my name, you have authority to shift these things in the heavens as I'm looking out over all creation. And I just said, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I didn't even fully understand what it meant. I just said, yes, yes, God, yes. And those words just, they echoed around me and through me and from within me. It seemed for like another half, about 45 minutes or so. And then I woke up on the floor and my Bible was open in front of me to Psalm chapter 8. And I don't know who put it there, how it got there. But the first thing I read is, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? And, and David, it's a Psalm of David again. And he answers his own question. He goes, who am I that you're mindful of me? And then he answers his own question in the next verse. He says, oh, but you've crowned me with glory and honor. You've crowned me with glory and honor. You've made me a little lower than yourself. You've given me dominion over the works of your hands. I want to tell you something this morning, church. You have authority. You have power. You have dominion over the works of his hands. When you pray, God actually invites you to govern creation with him through the place of prayer and intercession. If you have power to move galaxies in the deep space, how much more do you have to move the mountains in front of you on your journey? Contend for your promises. When you lift up your weak, seemingly insignificant voice to the throne of heaven, it's not about how powerful and how strong your voice is. It's about lifting up your weakness to him. And again, it's in your weakness that his strength is made perfect. It's partnership. He speaks into your life. He brings you to the valley. He gives you the hope of a promise so that you'll pray for it in your weakness. And then he matches your weakness with his glory and he sees you through. Amen? So number one, love his leadership. Don't despise it. Number two, lean into his sovereignty. Number three, worship through the pain. Bring your lamentation song to him. And number four, contend for your promise. Because it will come to pass if you pray for it. And I'm going to close here pretty soon as the band comes up. I just want to tell you that you were made to overcome impossible odds. You were made for the miraculous. If you turn with me to Matthew 14, verse 22. It's one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. It says, immediately... He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, walking on water, but when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, and they said, Oh, it's a ghost. <laughs> I love this. It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and saying, Don't fear. It's I. Don't be afraid. 
And Peter answered him. I love the response of Peter. He said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. I just said that so flippantly. So Peter got out of the boat in the midst of the storm and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I love this story because Jesus set them up. <laughs> Jesus knew, Jesus, I feel like Jesus probably orchestrated that storm. He probably set them up to be out there alone. He was going to walk out there on the water. He was going to meet them out there. <laughs> Their response was, he's a ghost. He's going to kill us. And he says, nope, it's me. It's Jesus. And I, just the audacious response of Peter to say, Lord, if it's you, call me out there to meet with you. The willingness in Peter's heart to risk everything. The Sea of Galilee. How many of you guys have been to Israel? If you haven't been, you need to go. If you have gone, go again. I've been there twice. I went to the Sea of Galilee twice. It's not that big. And so for them to be out in the middle of the lake or the sea for hours because the wind was tossing them back and forth, I mean, it, doesn't, it shouldn't take too long to get across. But they were out there for hours. The wind was tossing them back and forth. And Peter, in the midst of the horrendous storm around them, says, Jesus, if it's you, let me walk on the water with you. Call me out there to walk on the water. And Jesus said, okay, okay, Peter, come out here. Come here. How many of us in the midst of our impossible circumstances would dare God to call us out to defy the laws of gravity, to defy the laws of what we've known to be real and true and to ask for the miraculous? Peter said, let me come out there with you. And Jesus said, come. And it wasn't just a heart response. He actually did it. He actually risked his life and everything that he knew to step out on these huge waves that were tossing their boat back and forth. And he kept his eyes on Jesus. And he said, oh, you're real. Every step, I can't imagine just every step, just the faith growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and just locked eyes with Jesus. And they'll finally, the wind got so strong that he looked at the waves around him and it was when he took his eyes off of Jesus, when he took his eyes off the one who was leading him to come out and do the impossible, the miraculous. It was then when he began to sink. And it was, he was captured again by the fear of something that he had already conquered. Peter already conquered the waves. He already began to walk on the water. He already knew that the impossible was now possible because Jesus called him to do it. But it was when he began to look at the impossibilities instead of the one who makes the impossible possible that he began to sink. I want to tell you something this morning. Do not look at the impossibilities. Don't look at the impossible circumstances in front of you. Look at the one who calls you to walk on water. You were made for the miraculous. You were made to walk on water in whatever season you're going through. There is a hope at the end of this season. There is a reward for you at the end of your season if you respond rightly. And maybe you'll have to, maybe you'll be called out of the boat to walk on the water. But man, what a story. 
What a testimony to God's glory. You were made to walk on water. I want to close with this one passage. Isaiah 43. It says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob. He who formed your inward parts, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Would you stand with me, church? Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACC. FL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.